0: Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Hellman, and welcome to What Women Must Know. Thanks for joining me, because, as always, I have such great conversations with amazing guests, and um, today is no exception at all. If you are listening for the very first time, thank you for joining me. I welcome you to be part of my community. If you'd like to get the archive shows that I do every week, you can go to my Facebook page, which is what women must know or you can go to my website which is dot opt in there and i just flip them out right into your inbox so you don't have to miss any of the shows and by the way i have a second show on progressive radio network every saturday at 11 a.m called the love code and that is all about our spiritual growth and evolution and healing hope you'll be joining me there too because it truly is an inspirational show where we tap into the great power and potential that exists within all of us. So we need that at these times to be reminded of just how amazing we are and how powerful we are. The um, this show, the What Women Must Know show, however, is all about empowering you with truthful information so you can make the most informed decision possible regarding your health and well-being And I hope you'll be joining me every week because uh, there's just so much to learn and so much to really be empowered with. And during these times, we want to be empowered with truthful information. And let's just jump into our conversation today because we're going to be talking about the camel milk revolution uh, camel milk—that's the subject—and you might be as unfamiliar with camel milk as I have been up until recently. And so we're going to delve into the world of camels, of camel milk, the benefits, and um, and a whole lot more. So I look forward to a really wonderful conversation today with my guest, Lauren Brisbane. So let me just share a little bit about Bruce. Uh, Lauren. She is the director of Q Camel on the Sunshine Coast, which was the Sunshine Coast of Australia, I have to say, which was the first camel dairy in Australia to produce pasteurized camel milk and is the world's only certified organic camel dairy. She wrote and published a two-year study in 2009, Camels in Queensland Opportunities for Diversification. Lauren was the chair and a founding member of the Australian Camel Industry Association in 2010-2017. She advises both Australian federal and state governments on the development of the camel industry in Australia and um, NGOs on industry matters. And She lives on the Sunshine Coast with her husband of 27 years, three children, and a herd of over 120 camels for other children. So it's my great pleasure to uh, welcome Lauren to the show. Hello, Lauren, and I'm so happy to have you on the program today. Oh, hello, Dr.
1: Cheryl. It is my pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, and that was a wonderful introduction.
0: Thank you. Well, your bio is a lot longer than that, so I had to kind of condense it because you're such a dynamic woman. You have been in the area of agriculture, I I gather, and, you know, the land for a really long time. So I wanted to begin our conversation today by you sharing a little bit about your story and your journey that led you to the world of camels. Uh, it probably started quite a long time ago
1: in in the 90s. Uh, my husband and I were living in central Queensland, so in the more in central west Queensland, and we were there at the height of the drought in the 90s, <clears throat> and it was just, uh, just heart-rendering to watch everybody go through what they were going through, and what we noticed during that time that a lot of people were Um, dying and on their lands. Um, unfortunately, in, um, agriculture, um, in Australia, particularly in drought, often people, um, lose their lives, um, through, you know, mental health conditions. And every other week there was another funeral coming into town. The drought was so bad that people were just, you know, the bank was knocking on their door, they're losing the land. And most of them had cattle. And I just thought then, this is ridiculous. We are not England. We don't have, you know, the a great um continent to grow, you know, cattle on, although cattle is king in Australia, but I thought how can people be losing their properties and their livelihoods and their lives um through managing cattle who just do not survive in drought? So I looked for another animal that I thought was more suited to Australia, and it really came from a social perspective. And I came across camels, Um, a few years later I came across camels and at the time we had a partnership with people who had wagyu beef and we had competition quarter horses with them and I walked into a meeting one day and said, I think we need to co-graze with camels and that was a very fateful statement. It started a long journey. Um, I wrote a study, my husband and I funded and I wrote the study on the development of the camel industry. Um, and while our partnership um, didn't continue in the cattle industry, unfortunately one of our partners um, succumbed to a very aggressive cancer, uh, we went on with the camels and um, from there we set up uh, the Australian Camel Industry Association. Um, I was on the National Feral Camel Management Project for the Australian Government and, um, and then we... You know, from doing the study, we decided that if we were going to be involved in the camel industry, it would be in the dairy industry because ethically that suited us as a family um and that and we thought, well, you know, looking down the um the track and you know people's the changes in in a behavior and the way people were um you know uh consuming food um and that the gut industry was the most growing industry in Australia in food, we thought, well this fits in perfectly. Um and we had four hundred thousand wild camels at our disposal. Um so we thought, well you know, let's if we're going to go into this, let's do that. So um uh and we weren't um uh dairy farmers, so we didn't come from a background of of as dairy farmers, so we looked at it in a completely different way. Um, and I think that's put us in good stead. We um, don't look at our camels <coughs> excuse me, um, as stock. We look at them as our partners. Um, and we got to know them. So, you know, really for the first couple of years, well, I've had camels for quite a while. So I've had camels since 2007. I bought some while I was doing the study. We started with two and now we have 120. So I have to feel a little bit sorry for my husband. So. <laughs> just, I, I mean, I, while I was writing the study I went hey honey do you mind if I buy a couple of camels and he looked at me and he <laughs> sort of raised his eye and rolled his eyes as he did you know I'm a little bit left of centre and he went really do we really need to buy some camels for you to do this study and I said well it's a good way to get to know them you know and really know what I'm talking about and uh, <laughs> Now we have hundred and twenty So it um that makes sense yeah <laughs> sorry but um anyway it's it's been a journey, and it certainly has,
0: so I have a question to ask because um having been involved with um cattle raising with people cattle raising being involved with a part of Australia that is i mean Australia is known for its droughts. Well why is it that people continue to raise animals like cattle and even sheep that when we when it's known that in Australia you go through cycles of severe droughts, you run out of water, you run out of feed, cattle don't do well. But it seems like the industry just keeps doing the same thing all the time. This is kind of an aside question, but, well, I've got you here. I thought I'd ask it because it seems like, you know, that's a definition of insanity, right? Keep doing what doesn't work. So I'm just curious what was what's your
1: perspective mm-hmm. on that Look we produce um amazing beef in this country we do and that and and to a certain extent pe- people have learned to manage drought they often shift their cattle around to areas that aren't um drought stricken and um and they destock so they they reduce their stock level so that they can manage um, and we have a fabulous reputation around the world for our beef. Um so and, and certainly we have more drought tolerant animals, but what I found in doing the study was that um camels are certainly um they're incredibly drought tolerant. Um they so and people who have them and co graze them with their cattle, um, will never get rid of them because they just you you get an increase in weight from the cattle during drought. And camels eat weeds, they um, and they'll drink, and the camel the camels will drink any sort of water. In fact, they'll drink your bath water. Um, but they, um, you can, most properties will have you know bores and water sources. Um, and but there are certain bores that you can, certainly can't turn on for cattle, because there might be a high salinity bore. Well, camels can drink that, so they can drink water that they can drink seawater. So and they've been known to do that certainly in, in times of severe drought in central Australia and they'll go down to the to the coast and drink the seawater. So um, they so, you know, cattle can be grazed all over Australia but certainly when we're in severe drought um, often drought it pertains to certain areas, and other times it's it's you know a continental issue. It's a continent issue, and um, which we've just come out of now, or just still coming out of. You know, there's still large areas of Australia that's still drought declared at the moment. But I think because people have been doing it for such a long time, and we have such a great product, they continue to do it. But I think there's certainly huge advantages to to um, co-grazing with camels because, you know, you've still got another meat product um, and you've got a live animal when you're in the middle of drought and it's certainly a lot better than looking out into a, you know, a dirt ridden paddock quiz or paddocks that have nothing alive on them. You know, camels will still survive. I've seen camels in the middle of drought and they, as long as they've got some sort of water source, they are fat and roly-poly so um hmm. in 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 fact grotesquely fat so australia's got perfect conditions for camels <laughs> and um
0: uh, well
1: so yeah look i uh, i think that certainly more people need to co-graze with them i would never say you know don't have cattle but hmm. um it works you know most of the time but there's a, there's a proportion of the time in this country just it, it you know it's incredibly difficult
0: well, um, that leads me to the next question, which has to do with the history of camels in Australia. I, I probably would imagine that most people listening have very little, if any, knowledge that there are 400,000 camels wandering around in the outback of Australia. Obviously, they're not indigenous, and I think it's a fascinating history. So so uh, can we talk a little bit about the history of camels in Australia? Sure,
1: sure. Well, the history is that, you know, because Australia is such a large continent and, um, excuse me, um, that, of course, trying to develop the interior of Australia was incredibly difficult without some type of animal that, that you know, I, I think they started to use horses and realised that they would just dive like a water and and it was such a large country that there is no way they could develop the interior of Australia Without it's some type of animal that would be incredibly hardy, so they started to import um camels in the um eighteen hundreds and really towards the later eighteen hundreds really the eighteen eighties right through to the eighteen twenties, they imported about twenty thousand camels into australia and then um and and that's how you know that really you know you often hear that term of riding on the sheep's back well. The the wool actually rode on the back of camels, you know, out of those areas. <coughs> and those all those interior towns were developed using camel trains. So that's how we developed the interior of Australia. But <coughs> towards the late 1920s and the, the early 1930s, that was the advent of road and rail in Australia. Um, and they didn't want... More than anything, they didn't want the Afghans because the camel trains are run by Afghans and Pakistanis, and more than anything, they didn't want Afghans and Pakistani people here in australia um and they wanted them gone with their camels, so they actually um had a mandate to shoot all camels and um so and of course that those um the the camel trainers and herders refused to do that so some were some were um put down but um, at least ten thousand of them <coughs> excuse me. At least ten thousand of them were actually let go. <coughs> and they um and then they're bred up in Australia because we've got perfect conditions most of the time and um so we now have four hundred thousand wild camels. So um <coughs> so they really did nothing but wander around and and grow and breed um for a long period of time. And then, in the seventies the the first start of a sort of a camel industry started to grow, and it was using camels for you know and you know there's certainly people all through that throughout that time that used camels on their properties or to get from a to b but um then there was the tourism industry, and that's still um the tourism industry in Australia with camels is um um in niche areas around australia and they um they really provide a a wonderful backdrop to tourism in certain areas like Broome in in western uh um uh, australia and then um and then there was a sort of a, a budding meat industry but it was the original people certainly in the 70s and the 80s in australia were um um it's sort of a wilder type of person because camels were sort of wild and it, it sort of attracts a different type of person. So um and often those sort of people um are not very business minded. They're sort of, you know, go getters and they're, you know, and entrepreneurs in a in a very basic sense. Um and, you know, so it was quite difficult to develop the industry with with a wild species but since then things have changed um and certainly um since two thousand things have changed, and a lot of business people have have seen camels for what they really are, and the people that have been managing them for many years or or recently um have just loved them and um and certainly the we, Australia now produces um a lot of these produces the largest amount of camel meat in the world and exports it um and the camels that are um, managed on indigenous land which is the nanandara in central in central australia and the nanandara is um the the size of their lands is the size of tasmania so (laughs) if you look you know tasma we consider tasmania our apple isle but That's a large plot of land. So you can imagine the Indigenous community who own lands the size of Tasmania and therefore, and most wild camels are actually on their land. So they have about 200,000 camels on their land. Um, And they have eight yards um, and there's boars, um, so water sources, and they move the camels in and they have a breeding program and they move the camels in and out. And male camels um, really only have a role as breeders, um, but as you know, for meat, most of the male camels are used for meat, only the special uh, um, breeders, that, male breeders that they'll keep. Um, and obviously the females they keep and good females they keep. And um, and so they they use them to supply meat. But those, the Nanandara also supplies the dairy industry in Australia, the camel dairy industry, so... The camels that we use on our property uh, actually have transferred from Central Australia, and they're on a managed property in uh, Central Queensland, and then we buy from there. So, so the industry has um, it's certainly growing, um, but one of the tyrannies for us is of distance. So, and transporting camels in a long distance is incredibly expensive. So you know that's always been an issue with um developing the industry because it's so expensive to transport them so cattle you can double deck um and camels they needed a, a certain amount of space on on trucks or you know what we call road trains so there's a road train has got um three uh, three areas on it um they're just huge and, um, you know, you've got to, there, there's a certain space that you've got to leave um, for camels so they can sit down, because when you transport a camel, they sit. So, <clears throat> you know, so it's still very much a developing industry, and uh, the great thing about our dairy industry is that we have the only disease-free camels in the world. Um, we've, um, so they, we don't have brucellosis, anthrax, or foot-and-mouth disease, and, of course, our camels aren't subject to MERS virus either, so... Um, so um so there is a small live trade. Um camels um go generally into um the Middle East uh for breeding purposes just to reinvigorate some um breeding and uh because we have quite um uh you know pure genetics and uh so they um are looking for those to reinvigorate their genetics in the Middle East.
0: That's so that's a, a very that's a little I overview think. of
1: what we do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Pretty fascinating, and I mean that you know they're highly prized Australian camels, like you said, to uh, to export them back into the Middle East to upgrade their herds. And you know, I, I'm sure most people didn't know that. I didn't know that, that that Aboriginal community in Central Australia really are working with the camels, and that's part of their economy. I had no idea. I had no, I actually yeah. had no idea there were 400,000. I knew there was a you know a large number, but. 100,000 So there's still a couple of hundred thousand that are just feral, wandering around out there. No, a the lot of most of the others are
1: t- tend to be on um, in the APY lands, which is another Aboriginal area, um, which is and <clears throat> please don't ask me to spell it, but it, they're in the Anangu Pitjantjara Yankunytjatjara lands. So they're a little bit they're a little bit lower down on the on the corner there in South Australia, Western Australia, and Northern Territory. So they also have camels and they do supply, um, but not as prolifically as they do in the Anandara. Um, there are camels, that, and they're certainly, they're not wild, but there's managed camels throughout Queensland and there's probably um, anywhere between twenty and 40,000 camels that are managed in Queensland. And then some people have wild camels through the Simpson Desert and in other desert areas and certainly over in Western Australia, but um, then there are other people who just leave them on their land keep them there to you know really manage weed control and and um you know they are so and they just they're happy for them to be there so um and you know there's other aboriginal communities that would certainly like to develop their industry so but as i said australia there's always a tyranny of distance in australia so it's not it's not a terribly easy thing to develop
0: so tell us about camels and their personalities you know there's there's a I think a belief system that they can be ornery, they you should think about camels spitting, I don't know where that came from. But um that's really not the true nature of camels. <laughs> so so give so no, us some no idea, insight into the true nature of camels.
1: Probably the, the 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 one question that I have been asked over and over and over again, uh and I wish I had a dollar for every time it was asked to me, the first thing people say is don't they spit? And I said, well, no, actually, <laughs> to, to, to be really honest, it's not spitting. They actually can vomit. It's actually vomiting. But they, um, <clears throat> which my daughter loves to, to tell people when we have tours come in, and usually people are aghast at that. But that, it's a defense mechanism. Um, and, it, of course, <clears throat> that's not their true nature. Um and the reason why they're known for that is because they've generally been um beaten. Um throughout history often and, and not not you know, true camel herders or the Bedouins. Um you know, people who the camels are part of their lives, they don't do that. There's no need, they're highly, highly intelligent. Um but, you know, often in in some tourism and situations and in some areas of the world you know, because they're so big, people are frightened of them, so they beat them because they feel like that they can control them that way, which is ridiculous because <laughs> the camel is so big. If they really wanted to hurt you, they could. So that tends to be a defense mechanism and, you know, don't they, they spit, they bite, they're, you know, they're ugly and they stink. That's basically what most people think, but it's actually not true. They don't... Um, they um, so they th- so our camels don't certainly don't spit because they're loved and um, there's no need for them to do it and uh, and you know they they will only kick as a defence mechanism and generally and now certainly don't do it um, um, and not for any other reason except that if they if we you know catch a swinging leg anywhere we we normally just say I usually just drop drop my voice an octave too or a bit lower and go, don't you do that, that's rude. So, <laughs> don't you do So And and it's like, and so, you know, really through just love and kindness and camels will always give you the benefit of the doubt. Even a wild camel will always give you the benefit of a doubt, although I highly recommend that people never, ever approach a wild camel because if it's a bull, it can, camel bulls are a whole different ball game, but Camels um will always give you the benefit of of the doubt, and they're highly intelligent and they're gentle creatures because they know they can hurt you because they're so big, you know so that it's, it's not a competition it's but if you learn to understand them and respect them for who they are, they're kind and gentle, that is their nature um and they're loving and they are easy to manage, they understand English or whatever language you speak, make they, they can understand language. Um and they're not what people think they are. And they're certainly nothing like cattle. They're actually more like elephants. So they live in a matriarchal society, um, and their emotional health is just as important as their physical health and well being. So um and and learning that and understanding who their friends are and the relationships they have and you know, and what sort of mother they are and, you know, those sorts of things are, you know, really, really important. And, um, you know, and sometimes, you know, when, when camels are new mum, um, sometimes they are like any mother there, <laughs> look at the baby and think, Oh my goodness, what am I doing now? You know, so others take to it like a duck to water and, and others just, you know, we've had some young girls, young camels, and we had one last year, and she was quite a young mum. We don't normally allow camels to have a baby at four, but she been out west with a bull, and she came in, and she was pregnant. So she was um, four when she had her first baby. She was, she had no idea what to do, and no idea how to to feed, to feed, and so, and we realised that. So we just, you know, cut, brought her in and just just made her feel it's okay, it's all right, you know, and we we just put her with some other girls. One who's an extremely good mother and She'd actually went her baby off, but she quickly made some more milk for, for the new baby and just fed him and showed her what to do. And so by the time we kept, you know, mm-hmm. got up in the morning, she was well and truly feeding him, but it's, um, it feels quite strange at first for them. And then they are they'd utter sore and, you know, so you've just really, you've got to make sure that you, you know, do a lot of work with them just to let them relax. And, you know, you just feed them. You don't let them go anywhere. You just keep feeding them. So. Like it's really not a lot different to you know women and babies, and so we just you know look after them exactly the same way so
0: well sounds like you're really good with camel psychology, Lauren <clears throat>
1: um, I've learned to read them,
0: and I've learned yeah. to
1: understand what I've learned to read them, and they um and I have to tell you a really funny story i I watched this a really amazing documentary in Africa. About a woman who talked to animals, and she was an animal psychic. And I and I watched her and she was actually people used her for their different animals. And there was a fellow who had a um, he had a or does have um, a farm in Africa, and he collects big cats that are um, need to be rehomed from zoos or cats that have become a problem or you know in Africa and or and he goes and buys them also around the world and he had a, a black leopard and um it attacked him and nearly killed him and it would never leave the hutch and he said you know he didn't really know what to do with him anymore and he got a woman in to talk to him and found out all sorts of things about him and and um and then he she said look just sit and talk to him and tell him what he wants to know and within half an hour he got up and left the hutch and he never had a problem with him again and I thought, okay, I'll just go and have a chat. Okay, this, this might actually work. So, <laughs> so I went to my lead cow and sat and had a talk to her and I sort of looked around and I thought, if someone could see me now, they think I was completely nuts. But I sat and talked to her about what was going on and what we were doing and, and all the rest of it and, um, and she was nodding at me and just grunting like she understood. And I said, oh, well, I'll keep going. And um, she did, and I said, are you okay with that? And she, mm, and, you know, she grunted and kept nodding her head and went, never had a problem since. So, and I went, okay, that works. Okay, all right. So if we're changing our, if we're changing anything, like if we're changing our routine for some reason, I just explain to them what's going on because they'll come to you and look at you as like, what's going on today? Like, we don't understand this. You've changed what we're doing because they're real creatures of habit. They like to do the same thing every day. Um, And and so we just explain to them what's going on. And, you know, sometimes I'll have new staff members that say, come on, come on. And I went, you're asking them to go somewhere. Just tell them where you want them to go. Don't say, come on. You just have to say, come on, girls, could you please go into the arts? Or, um, you know, and they'll just walk up or we say do you mind going through that gate? And I've had them come out of the gate, and I say, look, when you come out of that gate, can you stop, turn around, and we're going to go the other way because there's a bit of mud that way, so can you come this way, please? They stop, they turn around, and they go this way.
0: <laughs> so, you know, I said, <laughs> like, yeah. so, it, yeah. and look,
1: I really, I just, that that documentary was just so invaluable to me because I, I really did learn to communicate and so our staff are you know, they love you to talk to them, they love you to tell them what's going on and and you know, they um they love some comfort or, you know, if they're having Problems feeding them, but we always congratulate them when they've got a new baby. We go, congratulations! You're a new, you're a mummy. You know what a beautiful baby. We don't care what it is. Never care. Never look at a boy and go, oh, it's a boy. We we go, you've got a healthy <laughs> baby. Congratulations. You know. So, um, and so we have a lot to do with it. we have a lot to do with them. And our last baby, actually born, we um we actually uh, live streamed it, and um, which is. We would never have done it if she was if it made her feel n- nervous, but she didn't care. She was she was quite happy yeah. for us to be there. And as soon as the baby was born, I sort of pulled off all the you know all the sack off the baby and just cleaned it up. And straight away she didn't mind at all. And we said, that that was her first baby." And congratulations, you okay? You know, so you know, are you okay? <laughs> you know, I've had babies get stuck and gone down to the paddock and went. I took um, young James with me and I said, Come on, James, I think I think um, um, <clears throat> Millie's having a baby. So I went down and sure enough, and the baby was sort of halfway out. And I went, Oh, you're going to have to give me a hand here. And I just went over to her and I said, Are you okay, sweetie? I said, Are you all right? She looked at me as if to say, Do I look
0: like I'm all right? The
1: baby's stuck. <laughs> you know, so I went, I'll give you a hand. You know, I'll give you a hand. I said, So uh, James, just come and grab another leg and then, and you go, all right, push, you know, and you just say the normal thing. Just just wait for the contraction, contraction and say, just push, honey. And so she pushed and you just ease that baby gently out. And then, you know, the baby came out and she stood up and the baby was in my arms and I just placed her at her feet. And um, I looked at her and said, are you okay? She looked at me and said, I am now. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but... So we do have a lovely relationship with them um, where um, we treat them as our, we don't treat them as stock. We treat them as our, you know, um, they're, they're part of family. our team and of course they are, they're family yeah. and um, they're treated with yeah. a lot of love and kindness and um, so we only milk once a day because we get enough milk out of the morning and it's really important that they herd manage so they go out as a herd every day and um you know, spend time with their friends and their babies and their community, and and um, enjoy being mums, and the babies enjoy having playmates, and you know, so there's there's it's yeah, it's lovely to watch, it really is. Yeah,
0: camel 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 community, you know, they're it is a, a happy, perfect yeah, it life is. for them. So. So when you milk them, do you have machines that milk them, or do you milk them by hand?
1: They're machine milked.
0: Yeah, no, they're machine
1: milked. But we do. It's a lot of preparation. So they're washed and they're cleaned and their udders are checked every day. So our camels never ever get mastitis. And um, mm-hmm. if if you know, for any woman who's ever had mastitis, it's insidious and it's. Um, and we would never want them to go through that. So they're checked every day to make sure that their udders are in good condition and they're, you know, they're ready to be milked and then we machine milk them. And um so what, and there's always a hind milk that, that's left there. So they actually make more milk for us. So we never take any milk from the baby. So, um but we we milk them for two years. But um once the baby's two months old, and uh, we don't touch the mother before the baby's two months old, once the baby's two months old, they can be separated at night and mummy and baby can see each other. Um, but it allows her then to rest at the night time and she builds her up during the night. We comp-feed the baby. The baby's on hard-fed, so the baby's comp-fed. They actually love it because they're in a crash and they get to play and be really naughty. And so (laughs) that's their naughty time and then they all cuddle up and sleep together. And mummy can see them and... um, and the, but the mothers get to sit down and relax because it's a huge thing to ask an animal to produce more milk for you as well as feed a baby. So, um, so they make you know twenty five percent more milk for us, um, and then and then they feed the baby all day, and they bring themselves back in. At three or four o'clock in the afternoon, and they finish feeding the baby, and it's like get this baby off me! I've fed it all day; it's just insane.
0: So they need a break. <laughs> yeah,
1: they do, and so they get to sleep. So they we milk them for two years, and that also gives their womb rest, uh, their womb arrest. so they only have a baby with us every three years, so it allows their womb to rest, allows them then to put more weight back on to get ready for another baby and then they spend a the whole year out in the paddock um, and they go out with the bull and he um, services them if they're ready to be serviced, he will service them, he would never chase them or he's very, very gentle. And um, and he's um, he knows how to love them up and make them feel special, and he mates with them for a few weeks. And um, and the minute they know that they're um, pregnant, then they sort of shut up shop, and that's it. <laughs> so then he has to go on to another group. So yeah, um, so yeah, he's learnt not to you know get too amorous with too many people all at once, because otherwise he'll leave himself with nobody for the rest of the year. So,
0: um, but he's incredibly gentle.
1: Yeah, so. So, and he's very kind. So he never touches our little girls, our so two, three and four year olds he never touches. Um, because they're too young and um it's only when they're ready to sit for him that he will if they mosey up to them at, you know, four and then they're having a the baby at five then he will and they sit for him then that's okay, but sometimes they don't fall pregnant until they're six or seven. You know, because they're not ready so we don't we don't so he doesn't ever force the issue. So, um yeah so which is good because they're in much better condition, not chased around the paddock, and I uh, guess wild camels can be very ferocious um it's you know it's the survival of the fittest, and you know many camels break their have broken legs and you know from being knocked over and literally raped, you know, but um, you know when you've got a hand raised bull who's you know never had to never had to worry, and we groom out way, way out in the country. Um for a couple of years, just to allow him to be a bull and find his legs, he went out there with a group of girls and then and some of them came back pregnant, and others weren't ready, so they're they're pregnant now, but they weren't ready so um yeah, so he's allowed he's been allowed to be just be a bull and just be you know and enjoy just growing up and with love and yeah, so he's got a lovely nature, and he's all his little babies that he's, we've had this year and the last year are just gorgeous. You know, big, strong, healthy calves that are, you know, just as gorgeous as he is. So, um yeah, it's lovely to watch.
0: Well, he must be very happy with his harem. Can't complain about that. Yeah, either.
1: oh, he is. Oh, yeah, he is. And it was funny <laughs> the other week. He, he, it's funny, he's out there, out the back, and it, there's, you know, there's sort of like 60 camels or so out the back, and, you know, he'd, um and of course, it, it, he was, and he, And anyway, our electricity went off overnight, so the electrical fence between, you know, the main, the dairy area and that, which is quite big. And we're on, our camels are managed on about 1500 acres, so there's plenty of room. Anyway, I was checking the fence and thought, hmm, fence is off. I can get through there. I might just crawl through and go and see what's going on in the dairy because there's a whole lot more girls up there. So he just <laughs> wandered up. He came in with the dairy head in the morning and I went... The, the staff rang and said, Bam, bam, in And I went... Okay, right. <laughs> I went and checked the fence and sure enough it was off. He looked so pleased with himself. <laughs> it's like, come you here, you know, and, uh, you know. And I said, is he in rut? And she said, no. Rut means that they're coming into season. Here's an interesting thing about camels, and this is where Mother Nature has finally got it right. The girls don't come into season, so they, um, the bulls do. So... Um, <laughs> And I think everybody will find this really funny. That this is, and I often talk about it when I'm when I'm giving talks. And I go, "Tell me what this reminds you of." The bull comes into rut, and he's walking around proud as punch, you know. So, and he exudes this this um, um, this oil from the back of his head, in a gland area. And when he's really in rut, it gets a bit smelly. And then he sort of slobbers, and he's got this sort of long tongue thing that comes out, this big and it's called a duller, right? Uh, and he thinks he's fabulous, right? He just really does and he struts around and the girls look at him and go, oh, all right, they sort of raise their eyebrows and go, oh, all right, and if they're interested and in keen, they'll sit down and he thinks he's fabulous. But by the end of rut, which can be six to eight months, he just looks like no one owns him because he's lost that much weight from... <laughs> And he smells and he, you know, and the girls, he'll mate with the girls for two weeks and then all of a sudden they've realized they're pregnant so they just shut up shop and that's it, that's all finished and done with, you know, so it's like, okay, we better find the next one and it's like, it's very funny so they don't go through all that sort of thing and... um, it's it, it's quite it's great that that, that rutting season, but he thinks he's fabulous, and you think you smell awful and you look terrible, you know. <laughs> and, uh, A lot of time. Oh, it's very, oh, it's funny to watch. That's funny. Of course,
0: when he was
1: That's in, funny. of course, soon as he was in the round yard with all the other girls, he started to leak in the back, and he started slobbering. And I went, there we go, he's going to come into rut early this year. So uh yeah, and of course, you know, there was a few girls who thought, Oh, I'm up to this you know, they were <laughs> backing up to him you know, and like, get away, you're still feeding a baby, you know. <laughs> so oh, goodness, it's very funny, but he was it's not so, aggressive. It must be so interesting, interesting for you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah I was Had gonna a...
0: say it must be so interesting to see Well, it must be so interesting. For you to see the different personalities of your camels and, you know, which girl is, is uh, you know, up for action and others who, you know, have to be persuaded. It's just, you know, it's just a, they all have their personalities, I'm, you know, I'm sure. They
1: really do have their personal all have different personalities, you know. Some, some girls are what we call bomb-proof and they're like a bomb-proof pony and um, you can do anything to them. You could milk them out in the paddock and they wouldn't care and they love... You know, they're really placid with kids and their dogs play around them and we've got four marama dogs which um they help look after them. So we've got four marama dogs and three donkeys as well. So they um they help look after the babies, they guard them and uh, camel babies are really uh fragile when they're born and they, they only have they can't actually walk they can teeter around but they really only stand and drink at least the first three days and they can't really get anywhere for about a week. So they're incredibly fragile and of course <clears throat> in Australia we have uh, predation which is uh, we have wild dogs and uh, so our donkeys and our dogs um, protect them. So if wild dogs come in, mum will as well but if you have, there's packs of wild dogs around, we, um, you know, our donkeys are ferocious. So you wouldn't think so, little tiny Jerusalem donkeys that look really cute. Oh. <laughs> they don't like wild dogs, wow. so they yeah. they get a great kick out of um, trampling them. So um, so they they tend to <laughs> stay away. So yeah, so it's a funny farm, and you know it really is. And then we've got these four huge <laughs> white Merema dogs that look like sort of a sort of cross between a wolf and whatever else, and and, and um uh, and a golden retriever, but, and they're as, they're as gentle as everything else, but, you know, you'd never want to go in there at the night time because they'd eat you. Yeah, no, so you don't mess with them, but, um, yeah, so it, it's a funny sort of farm, but, you know, when the babies are laying down, you know, the dogs will often sit there and lay down with them, or the donkeys will be, and they're, you know, it's really quite a funny little farm, but, um, uh, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it sounds
0: precious. Well, let's talk about camel milk while we have, this uh rest of the show, because there's so much to be said about camel milk, and um it's getting more popular in Australia for sure i um you know there's some talk of camel milk in the u s but I, I don't think it's fully appreciated uh maybe it is, and I just I'm not aware of it, but I know there's a lot more going on in Australia right now, so tell us what is um the nutritional value of camel milk what's the interest in camel milk? Okay, so it has a
1: different molecular makeup. So it's different to than dairy milk. So it doesn't, very specifically, it doesn't have beta-casein-6 in it, which is one of the allergens, and it also doesn't have beta-lactoglobulin in it. And they're the two dairy allergens that cause that dairy allergies and there's upset. And while they have lactose, it's low lactose, But without those two allergens in it, the majority, 99% of people can drink it. But it heals the gut. So it has immunoglobins in it and immunoglobulins in it. And they are one-tenth the size of human um, um, and they're antibodies. So they ingest into the the gut wall really quickly and they heal heal the the gut and the bowel. Mm -hmm. So it is very much um, a gut product. Um, but it also allows you to have milk with a really high nutritional value. So it has it's very high in calcium and vitamin C. And so it has um, so 250 mils um, has uh, 16% of your calcium needs and 28% or 27% of your, you know, vitamin C needs. So, you know, if you're not feeling very well, it'll pep you up really quickly. And if you've got a cold you know, you drink camel milk and you'll feel a lot better really quickly. That's a hive on you're not well. Um, it has a natural insulin in it. So the natural insulin, um, so it really helps with diabetes. So it helps control diabetes and certainly in type 1 it reduces hypos. And type 2 diabetes, if you, you know, if you've got a really good, if you change your diet, have a really good diet, it really makes a massive difference. And a lot of people find that um, with type 2 diabetes, they've have very few problems once they start drinking camel milk. So, um, with and and other so people with gut and bowel disorders, they find and and autoimmune conditions, they find it um, an incredible product. Um, and children with autism, um, because dairy and gluten with children with autism um, tend to make their issues worse. And so the camel milk heals the gut and allows them to get proper nutrition. But because it doesn't have those two dairy allergens in it, it reduces the casomorphia in the brain. So <clears throat> so children often with autism that start drinking camel milk and are in, have the benefit of a good diet will often then start to verbalise and, and look at you and um, certainly have their behaviour is a lot, lot better, mainly because they really can start to converse with you and, and interact. So... Um, you know, it's certainly not a cure but from from a uh you know from a, a a really good um you know high value product on a nutritional basis, it's a wonderful product so and you so we try and produce it as cleanly as possible so as you know we're certified organic but and we also um we have a really low stress environment so camel milk generally around the world is quite um a low fat Ours isn't um and and I'm a great believer in having fat and food, so um natural fat and food, so ours tends to be at least you know four point three to four point eight most of the time four point eight percent fat so um and so it and it's creamy and it's you know so there's there's cream in our milk and it's you know it just ours tends to taste more like dairy milk, but it also has a slight saltiness, and that's a feature of camel milk. Has a slight saltiness to it, so certainly if you're having it with your coffee, you know a little bit of salt and coffee makes it taste amazing so camel milk and coffee really enhances the flavor of the coffee so um and for those people with you know gut issues, it allows them to have you know um a coffee with a milk product in it that really um is, tastes sensational so um so it has a lot of value in you know in food um products we make additional products out of of course. We have a we have a product called a grab and go for the gut, which is a honey and mango yogurt smoothie. Um and that is a great sort of snack product. Um we do cheese, we do a, a, a Persian feta and um we so of course we do chocolate but it's a Swiss coverture with a, uh, with a camel milk praline in the middle and, you know, everything we do, I'm <laughs> of a bit course. Of fanatic actually. So, yeah, of course, you know, so we, I'm a bit of fanatic <laughs> about what we do. So, um, it always has to be the best and, you know, so, and if we do a skincare range as well and we, we use fresh camel milk in our skincare at our therapeutic goods administration level. So we've, we've developed a, um, and so camel milk heals the gut from the inside but it also heals the skin um, because the same value is when you place the milk on the skin and in the products, um, it heals the skin as well. So we've had amazing, um, amazing reactions. And it was in R&D for five years and of course I wouldn't use any essential oil that wasn't perfect and and that didn't work well with camel milk. So we've got this amazing range of essential oils with our camel milk and then we finish it off with the Native Australian botanicals that also heal the skin. So we've had a an amazing um reaction, skin reactions, you know, people with cystic acne. Our daughter has cystic acne and she now no longer has it. So, um, camel milk has cleaned that up and burns and, you know, um, um, dermatitis from, from radiation treatment for, you know, for cancer patients. It's, it just heals it amazingly. And yeah, so it, it's an amazing, camel milk is an amazing product and, um, um and the way you produce it is really, really important though, and <clears throat> producing it ethically in a low stress environment where your animals are looked after, you get an amazing product and So that's our aim of producing it but um it is a, and you know really um if it's produced properly, it doesn't taste a lot different from from dairy milk but and you don't get all that that sort of thickness that in your throat and that congestion that you get with dairy, so it's a really palatable, easy to digest product.
0: Well, you know, uh, just reiterating what you just shared with us, so people who have chronic gut issues would um, benefit from camel milk because it it, it helps to heal the gut. Um, The immunoglobulins is is, is boosting the immune system, so when you get immunoglobulins, it's one of the most powerful things you can do to deal with inflammation and also boost the immune system, right? So it's enhancing, and especially these days, anything that can, you know, enhance the the functioning of the gut and strengthen the immune system is critical. But then, uh, you know, so anyone with you know any sort of gut issues, uh, I would imagine, um, who are, have gluten sensitivities, have lactose sensitivities, who may have uh, Crohn's disease or IBS, or just any of, any of the range of health issues related to the gut would benefit, right? So so there's that community and then there's the community I mean, I'm gluten intolerant and you know, I had a, an autoimmune disease I was diagnosed with many, many years ago and I've been really cautious about taking dairy, but um uh, camel's milk would be the perfect thing, obviously. Um but then there's the you know, you're saying the kids with autism or the people with autism that they have such sensitive guts that uh can aggravate their conditions and by and in many ways and boy, how fabulous to have a uh, a a you know a product that can help heal the gut, which is always an issue with autistic children or children I would say have any learning disabilities at all, and then the third community are the diabetics well that's uh yes. really. <laughs> What, what you were saying, it will helps to manage the insulin levels. So you, is that what you're saying, that it, it actually Yeah,
1: it does. Helps, it does. It reduces hypose. Reduce. It def- definitely reduces hypose yeah. in in type 1 diabetes and um, just makes it a lot more manageable and certainly in type 2. But diabetes, if <coughs> people manage their diet properly and uh, they have, uh, you know, they, generally their their type 2 diabetes tends to Uh, be a lot more manageable um, and you know um, so yeah look it is it's an amazing product they're amazing creatures are highly evolved they're considered the most highly evolved land mammal and um, so you know they've been around for millions of years and they're current and uh, do you know that they originated in in north america the oldest Mm -hmm. the oldest uh, fossils of camels were in North America, um, and the, their feet, the padded feet, were designed for snow originally. And then, while the, the continents were still bridged, they actually then walked across um, through sort of North America, across um, down through the Silk Road, and then into Asia, and uh, and the the Gulf region, and. And they transferred, and we we actually believe that if Australia was still attached to New Guinea, they would have walked down into Australia because the conditions were just perfect for them. So, um, but it detached before they got down that far. But so their their feet are quite adaptable then to to sand, but they originally were for snow. So, and of course, you know uh, some camels in the world are in snow.
0: And I was going to say, and they still found their way to Australia. One way or yeah, another, they did anyway. Yes, they yeah, they did it, anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. So,
1: and it it ended up being quite a fortuitous event because you know because of the disease, the the disease issues with camels around the world, and, and you know basically they've been sitting on an island for a hundred years, and uh, and just and 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 you know we we don't have brucellosis we don't have brucellosis here and um, or you know and, or their you know anthrax or foot and mouth disease so um so they've and then you know when MERS virus started in you know um overseas, and camels in America don't have MERS virus either, um but um elsewhere in the world they do they all have MERS virus, which is a type of coronavirus they they're actually carriers of it, and which is middle eastern respiratory syndrome, but that happened that we we think that that only happened there was a a genetic change there and it happened probably about 40 years ago so um, but unfortunately that spread throughout the the camel communities you know around the world so so it was actually quite fortuitous that it did come to Australia and sit in an island for 100 years because it you know yeah. it's allowed then for a disease-free breed of camels to and of course the, the survival of the fittest so that so, you know camels have survived in incredibly um in conditions that have been you know uh in drought in central australia so um yeah so but it's lovely to be actually utilizing an animal that is incredibly easy to manage um and land management and um and farming in australia is changing as it is around the world where a lot more women are involved now it's not as patriarchal as it used to be um and they're an incredibly easy animal to manage i mean Some of the young women that work for me, like Young Jo, is she weighs 40 kilos. You know, she's tiny. She's a dancer, and um, you know she can manage 40, 50 camels on her own. She'll just, you know, she can herd them in and tell them where to go. And you know, you go into your yard and you know they over there. And you know they're, they're incredibly easy to manage. You don't have to be big, strong, and tough to manage a camel. You just have to be kind. And, uh, That's they respond to that really well. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, and you do, and you up, do. Keep so,
1: up the chat. You know, people have um, got, yes, yeah, so, people have got used I to just me want now. To
0: say, we, we were, <laughs> I just want to say, uh, Lauren, because we're coming to the end and I want people to know where to go to get more information. So, if people are interested in knowing more about Lauren and her camels and her products, the website is Q, the letter Q. Camel, I guess Q for yes. Queensland. <laughs> Camel dot com dot AU. Oh that was a good guess. Q dot com dot Do you ship your products overseas?
1: We do. Yeah, we do. We can send okay. powdered milk overseas at the moment. <clears throat> fresh milk fresh milk is far more difficult at the moment. Um yep. but we're we're only we'll be going through export accreditation this year, but so we hope to go into certainly into North America in uh um you know in um in the next to- sort of twelve months or so, but we certainly we've got you know customers waiting we have we have you know personal customers certainly in different areas around the world but um so sort of singapore new zealand and um et cetera um but <clears throat> yeah we'll be exporting later in this year but we do we certainly sell powdered milk and of course our skin care we send all over the world and um, ah, so and great. you know they can look on our website and find out a little bit more and- and you know about our camels and what we do and and how we manage our camels and our ethics and um but can certainly buy online so and we ship all over the world, so it's um
0: you know, so we, we
1: love it beautiful we, yeah so yeah, so, and you know we've designed the product so that it's um suitable for people with all sorts of skin conditions and skin types and so we've, um, and you know, people are just loving it. So, but we can certainly send powdered milk, that's for sure.
0: Okay. Okay. So, qcamel.com.au. Check it out. Learn more about camel milk, especially if you have gut issues, if you know children who have autism, learning disabilities, diabetics, people who have skin issues. This is an amazing healing food. Lauren Brisbane, it's been absolutely a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for the wonderful work and the wonderful education you've given us today in the world of camels. And I I, uh, look forward to coming and visiting and hanging out with the girls there and and the guy. And uh, and
1: (laughs) It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. And
0: uh, thank you. You're absolutely, absolutely welcome. And to uh, everyone listening, thank you for joining in. Hope to see you again or have you listen again next week. And until next week, remember to always honor the wisdom of your feminine self. Bye for now.